Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's go to God in prayer as we prepare for the word of the Lord today. Father, we thank you and bless you for this day. We pray now that everything that we do and everything that we say will be pleasing in your sight and will bring glory and honor to you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you know anybody who's gotten caught doing wrong, uh, got caught in a wrong act or maybe saying the wrong thing? Uh, maybe they got caught telling a lie. How did they respond and what difference that did their response make to how you would proceed or move forward from that point. Let's take Pete Rose, for example. Pete Rose was arguably one of the greatest baseball players of his era. More hits than anybody else in Major League Baseball history. World champion, MVP, you name it, in baseball, Pete Rose accomplished it. But with all of his accolades, he is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And the reason? He gambled on baseball. Now, truth be told, gambling on baseball, frowned upon by Major League Baseball, would have initially kept him out of the Hall of Fame. But what became for many the unforgivable offense was not that he bet on baseball and the games that he played in or the games that he managed, and he never bet against himself. He always bet to win. But what became unforgivable was the lie. Over and over again, ask Pete, did you bet on baseball? Pete Rose looked into the camera and denied it. No, I didn't. Bart Giamonti, the commissioner of baseball, asked him over and over again, Pete, did you bet on baseball? Pete said, no, didn't do it. And the commissioner banned him for life because the evidence was overwhelming. Pete continued to lie. The commissioner at the time ended up dying. And Pete still denied it. Now, just recently, Pete Rose came out and said, you know what, I lied. But the damage was done because he didn't respond when he got caught the right way. You've probably heard the saying that it's not the initial act that will get you in the most trouble. It's lying about it and continuing to lie about it that will get you in the most trouble. And my brothers and sisters, the same is true when it comes to our walk with God. See, the truth of the matter is God knows we're going to fall short of the mark. When the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that's not just those who didn't know Jesus. That applies to all of us who have accepted Jesus. 
Because as long as we are in this flesh, we are going to fall short of God's mark. The question is not will we fall short. The question is how will we respond when we get caught falling short, when we become aware of the fact that we have fallen short of the glory of God. Today I want to continue our series, Doing It God's Way. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and today I want to focus on chapter 6, beginning at verse 8, and I want to talk to you today from the thought, how to respond after you've done wrong. How to respond after you have done wrong. I told you 2 Samuel chapter 6 is our foundational text. And for those of you who may not be familiar with that pericope of Scripture, 2 Samuel chapter 6 chronicles for us and gives us some details into the move of the ark of God from Abinadab's house back to Jerusalem to reestablish Jerusalem as the center of the children of Israel's worship and life. And the Bible says that when David went to the house of Abinadab, when David went to the house of Abinadab, the Bible says that David took 30,000 men with him. And they were celebrating the move of the ark of God from the home of Abinadab on their way to Jerusalem. And the Bible says something tragic happened. The oxen stumbled when they got to Nacon's threshing floor. The ark wobbled because it was on a cart instead of being carried. Uzzah, one of the attendants, reached out his hand to study the ark, assuming that his hand was cleaner than the ground, touched the ark of God, which was forbidden by God, and the Bible says he died. He died on the spot. And now David has to respond. What would you do in that situation? How would you react? If after doing what you believe God wanted you to do, something tragic happened along the way. See, it would be quick. It would be easy to say, hey, God, I'm doing your work. How how would you let this happen? Why would you let this happen? And David, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning at verse 8, shows us how to respond by showing us how not to respond. Three things I want you to see today that I hope and pray will give you some insight into how to respond when you've done wrong. Here's the first thing. Number one, you need to check your reactions when God disciplines you for doing wrong. If you're going to respond properly, you need to check your reactions when God disciplines you for doing wrong. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning at verse 8. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named the place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah as it is still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord. And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord 
back into my care. David messed up. They're moving the ark of God, not according to God's instructions, but according to David's intentions. The word of God was very clear. The commands of God were very clear that the ark of God was never to be touched by human hands, that the ark of God was never to be carted. It was always to be carried, and poles were to be put through the loops, and it was to be carried by the attendants of the ark of God. David and his crew decided to do it their way because there was an assumption that their intentions were good enough to override disobeying God's instructions. And whether it was ignorance of God's instructions, uh, whether it was an imitation of the Philistines and how they moved the ark, or maybe it was inconvenience, they just didn't want to have to carry it, the 10 miles from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem, Uzzah dies. Uzzah dies, and David reacts. Here are two things I want you to get from this. Look at A, don't become angry. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 8 says, David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. David was angry because God got angry. David was angry because Uzzah lost his life. They come with all kinds of great intentions, man. They are giving God the praise, giving God the glory. They are excited. And David is angry because God does not look past Uzzah's disobedience. My brothers and sisters, how often do you get angry when you are held accountable when you do something wrong? How many times do you get angry at the person who holds you accountable for doing wrong when you know you did wrong? Well, let me ask you another question. How often do you get angry with God when God holds you accountable for not doing what he told you to do the way God told you to do it. See, usually when we do something wrong, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the person next to you. When they do something wrong, they look to justify their wrong. Well, see, the reason I did it was, but justification is not an excuse. That does not excuse your disobedience. You can get angry with God if you want to. You can get angry at somebody else if you want to. But at the end of the day, you can't blame God for what's your fault. And somebody today, hear me. God wants you to do the right thing, and God wants you to be blessed. But don't get mad when God doesn't bless you the right way when you do the wrong thing. Not only did David get angry, but look at B, don't become afraid. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 9, David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, 
How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? David is looking. He sees Uzzah has died on the spot for touching the ark of God, even though Uzzah had the best of intentions. And, and listen to what David says. David is afraid. He says, how can I ever bring the ark back? See, it's in the midst of seeing Uzzah die that David questions what God told him to do initially. And David is afraid because he doesn't understand, based on what he has just experienced, if he can ever complete the task that he felt God put in his heart. See, the ark of God was at Abinadab's house for several decades. And it's David who has a burden from God to bring the ark of God back from Abinadab's house to reestablish it in its rightful place in the center of the people. David knows that his heart is right. And we heard God say David was a man after his own heart. But now that this tragedy has befell them and Uzzah has died, David begins to question in the dark, what God told them in the light. And my brothers and sisters, I want to encourage somebody today. See, you don't want to become angry when you do wrong, and you don't want to become afraid when you do wrong. Because watch this. The problem is doing wrong. The problem is not what God said. The problem becomes you changing how you are going to do what God said he wanted you to do. David acts as if there was nothing wrong with his actions. When he's afraid, he acts as if there's something wrong with the ark or maybe there's something wrong with God. And he does what many of us do. When we get caught doing wrong, we point the finger at somebody else. We look at somebody else. We don't take the ownership. Adam, who told you you sinned? It was the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit. Woman, why'd you give Adam the fruit? It was the serpent you made. Right? Everybody points to somebody else. And David has the unmitigated gall, he has the audacity to point at God. And in essence to say, I don't, I don't know, I don't, man, I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to get this done. Don't ever stop doing what God has told you to do when something bad happens, especially when the something bad that happens is tied to your disobedience. See, there are times that things are going to happen that are outside of your control, and you have to keep pressing and you have to keep fighting. When you are obedient to God, but when you are disobedient, stop, look in the mirror, and check yourself. Before you get angry at anybody else and before you are afraid of what God told you to do, make sure you are doing 
what God told you to do the way God told you to do it. I told you, number one, you need to check your reactions when God disciplines you for doing wrong. Here's the second thing. Number two, you need to make sure you don't doubt what God can do because of the wrong you've done. You need to make sure you don't doubt what God can do because of the wrong you've done. We're talking about how to respond after you've done wrong. Look at what the text says. Verse 9, David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? Verse 10, so David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. David decides not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David as a result of the Holy Spirit's accountability on David and Uzzah for not moving the ark of God according to God's prescriptive orders. The Bible says David decides not to move the ark into the city of David as he intended, but instead he decides to allow his disobedience, listen carefully, to cause a detour to Obed-Edom's house. Fear has paralyzed David. Fear has paralyzed David. David is afraid. And with fear gripping his heart, David began to question if it would ever be possible to get the ark of God to Jerusalem. The consequences of his disobedience deterred him from doing what he felt God told him to do. It was all tied to his disobedience. And David allows that anger and that fear to paralyze him. Isn't it amazing when God holds us accountable for what we don't do, we can make a decision to not do what God told us to do? It's as, it's as if God told me to do it, but because I can't do it the way I want to do it, then I'm not going to do it at all, right? You give somebody instructions, you tell them how you want something done. It's not just what you want done, but you tell them how you want it done. They decide to do it the way they want it done. It doesn't get done the way you want it done. They get offended. They get mad because you hold them accountable, and they say, fine, I'm just not going to do it at all. And what David didn't realize at that moment is, he really wasn't doing it at all because he wasn't doing it the way God told him to do it. Listen, don't change God's rules and instructions to accommodate the ramifications of your disobedience. Don't change God's rules and instructions to accommodate the ramifications of your disobedience. If that's what God said, then do what God said do the way God said do it, and then trust God to do what only he can do. It's really critical. It's vital that you look in the mirror at yourself. 
See, when you are not blessed by God, don't blame God. When you are not blessed by God, don't blame God, especially in the midst of your disobedience. See, here's what we know. When you obey God, the challenge at that point is to wait for God to bless. But you wait trusting and knowing that he will bless. Here's the third and final thing. Told you, number one, you need to check your reactions when God disciplines you for doing wrong. Don't become angry. Don't become afraid. Secondly, you need to make sure you don't doubt what God can do because of the wrong you've done. Here's the third and final thing. Number three, we're talking about how to respond when you've done wrong. You need to realize when you obey God, he can bless you anywhere and at any time. When you obey God, he can bless you anywhere and at any time. Watch what the text says, verse 10, 2 Samuel chapter 6. So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. David leaves Abinadad's home on his way to the city of David, on his way to Jerusalem. The oxen stumble. The ark of God wobbles on the cart. Uzzah touches it. He dies. David immediately reacts, anger, afraid. He's angry and he's fearful. And he stops at Obed-Edom's house. And he basically says, you know what? I'm not moving this thing anymore. I'm not taking it any further. Now, Obed-Edom was a Levite. Obed-Edom is called a Gittite because he belonged to Gath-Rimmon, a Levitical city in the tribe of Dan. So he would be one who had been consecrated, anointed and appointed to serve in the temple, in the tabernacle, and to oversee and to or manage the ark of God, right? He, he would be consecrated as one of the attendants. The ark of God is left at Obed-Edom's house. Now remember, David was angry and he was afraid. And David's fear was that he couldn't get it to Jerusalem. And he's wondering, is there something wrong with the ark? Or maybe God is angry. He leaves the ark of God at Obed-Edom's house as if God didn't want it moved, and that's why the problems occurred. And look at what the Bible says in verse 11. The ark of the Lord remained in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. <laughs> There was nothing wrong with the ark. The proof is right there. 
The Bible says Obed-Edom's house and his entire, him and his entire household were blessed by the presence of the ark. Now, I want you to catch this. The ark wasn't scheduled to go to Obed-Edom's house. It was a divine God incident that got the ark of God from Abinadab's house to detour to Obed-Edom's house. But in the midst of the detour, the favor of God rested upon Obed-Edom and his entire household. It wasn't scheduled to go there, according to David. That wasn't part of the itinerary. But the ark shows up at Obed-Edom's house, and everybody connected with his house is blessed. Follow me carefully. Blessings can find you wherever you are. See, can you imagine if Obed-Edom said, man, don't, don't leave that ark here. I mean, he, 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 he couldn't have said that to the king, right? But can you imagine? I mean, who would have blamed him if he was like, oh, my God, wait a minute, come on, man, y'all done messed up with this ark thing, and now y'all going to leave it at my house? Like, what, what have I done to make y'all look at me so crazy? Y'all going to leave the ark at my house? Man, Uzzah just died. Come on, the whole praise party stopped. But Obed-Edom received what was brought to him. And in receiving what was brought to him, he honored God in his obedience in handling what came his way. And the Bible says he was blessed. Can I tell you something about the favor of God? Man, so many times we make the mistake of thinking we have to be in a particular place at a particular time in order to be blessed by God. And we don't understand that the favor of God can find us wherever we are. The favor of God can find you, but the key to the favor of God finding you is obeying God wherever you are. God's favor can find you wherever you are. There was a young man, he was born in Hamburg, Arkansas. Hamburg, Arkansas. He was one of 12 children. His parents couldn't afford to send their children to college. Uh, his father worked in a paper mill and suffered a stroke when he was a young man. He went to Hamburg High School and loved playing basketball. Six feet one, point guard led his team to the state playoffs, was put on the all-conference team. But when he graduated from high school, he had no college scholarships offered to him. He decides he's going to go to the University of Central Arkansas, an NAIA school. He walks on, wins a roster spot, and begins playing for the University of Central Arkansas, six feet one from Hamburg, Arkansas. In the midst of his college career, he grows seven inches. He goes from a six foot one point guard 
to a six foot eight point forward. And in his senior year, he averaged 23.6 points per game, 10 rebounds, and 4.3 assists from Hamburg, Arkansas. Never played in the NCAA tournament, didn't play on television, wasn't highly recruited, wasn't a McDonald's All-American coming out of high school. Hamburg, Arkansas. But in 1987, in the NBA draft, he was drafted in the first round. When his name was called, many people said, who? Because he wasn't a big name that had been recognized by the masses, but he was a big talent that had been discovered by NBA insiders. He would end up being traded on draft day and end up with the Chicago Bulls and become one of the most feared dynamic duos in NBA history. His name is Scottie Pippen. Hamburg, Arkansas. But guess what? They found him. They found him at a small college, a small school from a small town. They found him. Now, I want you to know, if NBA insiders could find that kind of talent coming out of Hamburg, Arkansas, I got news for you. God can find you wherever you are. The favor of God can find you wherever you are. And I want you to know today, somebody you ought to rejoice, somebody you ought to shout right now, not just for what you have received, but for the on-the-way blessings that are coming. Listen to me carefully. Blessings are not restricted by place or time. The house of Obed-Edom was a detour from the original des destination, but even though it was a detour from the original destination, the blessings of God were not delayed in showing up at Obed-Edom's house. Blessings can come wherever you are. Blessings can come whenever you need them. It doesn't take God's blessings long to show up. And it doesn't take long for God to turn a situation around. You need to realize God's blessings will find you when you obey God. When God is obeyed, blessings can come to anybody. When God is obeyed, blessings can find anyone. When God is obeyed, God's blessings can show up anywhere. When God is obeyed, God's blessings can show up at any time. And for somebody today, here's what I want you to know. It is never too late to start obeying God. I told you Pete Rose lied and lied and lied again. Overwhelming evidence against him. He kept on lying. Will Pete Rose ever get into the Hall of Fame? I don't know. We know some other people in public life who lie and lie and lie. Don't know what's going to happen to them. But here's what I do know when it comes to you and your walk with God. The way to see the favor of God released in your life it's not by denying, it's not by lying, it's not by finding a scapegoat or blaming somebody else. 
It's you owning your mistake and you, even on the other side of disobeying God, understanding that it's never too late to begin obeying God. Favor and blessings, more times than not, will show up on the other side of obedience. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for today. I pray now that as your word has gone forth that you have blessed. I pray, God, that somebody who's hearing today that they will be able to look and examine their lives and Holy Spirit bring back to their remembrance those places and times when they have uh, found scapegoats and looked for justifications. They embrace their intentions instead of your instructions. And I pray, God, that they would repent now and recommit themselves to doing what's right, doing what you have called, commissioned, and commanded them to do. We ask you to bless as only you can, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, before we go, if you are watching today and you are part of this church family, I want to thank God for those of you who are not just members of the Good Hope Church, but those of you who have joined on the virtual platform and have chosen to allow us to shepherd you through this pandemic and to help facilitate your discipleship on a digital platform. If you're part of this church family, I want you praying right now, if you will, praying for somebody who is watching. I told you earlier, we're being watched in over 130 countries around the world. And I want to encourage you today. If you need the Lord, I want to encourage you to go to our website or go to our app and click on the link, I want to accept Christ, but how? There's a video that I've prepared that will walk you through the plan of salvation and lead you in the prayer of salvation so you can ask Jesus Christ into your life as Savior and Lord. If you have prayed the prayer of salvation, I want you to click on the link that says, I just accepted Christ, now what? And we want to give you some steps, some things that you can do to begin to see your discipleship become a reality so that you can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, and if you have accepted Christ and you want to know how to become part of this church family, click on the link that says, I want to join the church. And we would love to show you privately how to become part of our church family. Again, not for you to make us a big church, but for us to help you become a big Christian. There are seven ways that you can give to support the church, and I want to thank those of you who have been giving and supporting our church. Um, man, God has, has been moving in such a powerful way, and we've been able to see lives touched and changed in a, in a marvelous way. Uh, we just celebrated an anniversary in our food pantry, 
and we got the tally, uh, we have distributed over 466,000 pounds of food to people in our community. I want you to think about that. 466,000 pounds of food, fresh produce, meat, milk that we have distributed to our community. And this is in our partnership with the food bank, but this is not free. Uh, we have to contribute. We'd have to pay both out of our finances along with our volunteers that come. And I want to thank all of those volunteers who come and serve. Man, what a tremendous job you do. Uh, we've seen the requests in our food pantry grow over 2,000%. And it looks like things are not going to get better before they get worse. We still have families who are being furloughed and families who are being evicted. We still see the rise in COVID-19 cases and deaths. And we're going to keep on fighting. And we welcome you to join us in that fight. Um, if you've been blessed by this message, I want to encourage you to sign up for a life group. Um, life is an acronym for us. It stands for living in fellowship every day. And I want to encourage you to put some positivity in your life. Um, even if you're not a believer, even if you're not part of our church family, I want to encourage you to sign up for a life group and get a chance to interact with other people and pray with other people and deposit some spiritual seeds in your life and then watch God bring forth great fruit out of your life. All right? Listen, don't forget God is doing something wonderful in you. God is doing something wonderful in me. We may not see it right now. It may not all make sense right now. But if we trust him and never doubt, God will bring us out. So keep your hands in God's hand. Keep your eyes on him. And remember, God is doing something wonderful in you. All right? Let's get ready to go. Love you in the Lord. Love to the family.